Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello and welcome to the Driven Chat Podcast. I am looking through a very lovely screen at the very lovely John Marker in a what looks like a pink hoodie, is that right? It's a very pink hoodie. <laughs> Hello, Amy Shaw. Yeah, it's, uh, this is my, I get a lot of comments on this hoodie. It's a, it's a pink Daikoku Nights caffeine machine hoodie. It's a strong look, that's what it is. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm very comfortable in it. Uh, and yeah, I, I never really think about wearing pink. Pink's good. It's a good colour on you. It's a good colour on you. You're very um, kind. So this week, you and Andy got to chat with the very lovely Magnus Walker. Is that right? That is correct. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a, a nice surprise set up by Andy, who the listener may have noticed isn't isn't here yet. But he's a, you're about to hear Andy. Don't worry. Um, yeah, Andy sent me a message saying, I've got this opportunity to talk to Magnus Walker. I didn't really know much about Magnus beyond his... Um, passion for Porsches. Did you just talk about Porsches or the other cars involved? <laughs> no, I mean, we, we did talk about other cars, but for me, I, I hadn't really known up until the point of having the conversation how genuine Magnus is as a person, okay. because I was kind of like, is he just this... Big hairy the, man that I see on Instagram. Exactly. <laughs> is, is the big hairy man thing, is that more of an act? Yeah. Is this real or is this, you know, is this a guy that is genuinely just... A bit of a, I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what people think about my look. Mm, um, cool. And throughout the podcast, as you, as you will hear in the interview, it kind of is that. He's just, he's just a real bloke. That's the best way to describe it. He's somebody who's had an idea, has got passion for an industry, and 
doesn't really follow any rules or any conformity. Yeah, he doesn't conform to what you're supposed to be or how you're supposed to be or the ways in which you do anything and all the aspects of his professional life, be that car modification to fashion to real estate, all the things that have made him a bit of money. Um, he's just a very real person. And now he's evolved into this big, powerful super brand, which is just, <laughs> yeah, a man with long hair and a long beard. <laughs> I bet he's got a really great garage as well. He does. He does. Did and in he fact... take you down like on the Zoom laptop no, we didn't, we didn't, showed you around? We didn't do so much of a, uh, of a tour. Um, we did have a conversation over Zoom and unfortunately, you know, this is audio only. Um, we do aspire to start doing uh, video recorded podcasts as well. But um, yeah, even for, you know, Mags' location for him just to sit in front of his phone and, and do the, the conversation over Zoom happened to have about five or six of his 911s parked behind him in his, oh, wow. one of his big warehouses, which was which is a really, really cool thing to see. Um, it's just nice to see people who are like-minded. We all aspire to have a warehouse full of cars one day, don't we? So it's quite cool to just sit there and actually watch it happening. Um, now, you weren't around for this particular interview. What have you been up to? Well, most of the time I've been trying to ferry my broken vehicles to different garages or <laughs> MOT stations, but I'm very pleased to say that my Mini passed its MOT this morning. I'm not exa exactly sure how, because they phoned me this morning and they said, uh, yeah, is there anything um, that we need to know about your car? Because we can't get it to start. And I thought, cool, 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 cool. great <laughs> start to the MOT. Um, but yeah, somehow it has passed. Um, but other than that, no, I've been having kind of a bit of a, not a chilled time necessarily, just, you know, catching up with a few bits and bobs. Um, I've got some quite exciting jobs coming up though. Cool. So uh, one of them, I'm once again borrowing a Bentley for just over a week. Nice. And they would like me to photograph it in more of an urban area. So I'm going to go on a little road trip because thankfully road trips are my work and I'm allowed to do it. So <laughs> I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, and I think I might go and head up to uh, the north, Manchester, Liverpool, something like that. Nice. Yeah, get my, my Beatles roots. Nice. Have you got lo specific locations in mind or do you, do you need our audience to perhaps help with this? You know what? That would be very, very helpful. <laughs> if any of you listening have got some really great car locations, either in Manchester or Liverpool, something urban, that's my, that's my, my nice. brief, urban, um, do drop us a message on either uh, Instagram page, that's where I end up finding most things, or on Facebook. Um, let me know some of your, your best places. And if you've already shot your car, that would be amazing tag us in. I'd love to see what things you've, you've done already. And yeah, you can be my official location scouters. Thanks love very much it. in advance. Love <laughs> it. I like that there's an urban theme to this podcast because <laughs> of course it's urban location wanted by Amy Shaw Photography <laughs> and the urban outlaw, which is Magnus Walker. So that's really exciting. And just to give uh, you, the listener, a bit of an overview as to this, this new structure of podcasts, as I'm sure you're figuring out if you are one of our lovely avid weekly listeners we Thanks. we love you for that i've noticed a few comments on our social feeds saying hey where's amy in this podcast or what's happened to andy in that conversation we try at the moment because we are all working remotely we're trying not to have too many voices in one zoom or <laughs> facetime conversation because it can get a little bit hectic so you will find uh, like today for example we have uh, an interview with myself and andy and magnus walker but no amy but then next week is going to be a conversation with myself and Amy, but no Andy. Of course, we want to bring you weekly content and we just want to make sure that content is 
is good. So we hope it is. And do let us know. You've got the facility to leave us a review, as we always remind you. And of course, a lot of people taking to YouTube now, which is great. We do put our podcast up onto YouTube. There is no visual aspect at all. It is just a screen card and the audio file for this. But it's a great place to leave your comments and, and, and let us know what you're thinking about our guests and the, the podcast and everything else. And tell us, of course, who else you'd like to hear from. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's fire into myself and Andy J talking to the original urban outlaw, Magnus Walker. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Okay, welcome to Driven Chat. It is your weekly automotive podcast featuring Mr. Markar. John Markar's in the house. How are you doing, Sunshine? I am well, Andy. Thank you. How are you? I'm very excited, actually, because our special guest for this week is a man who I have known for about four, five years now, maybe. And every time we chat or hang out, it's just pure joy. It is the legend that is Magnus Walker. How are you doing, Magnus? I'm doing good. Top of the morning to you guys. I'm calling in with a coffee uh, from my downtown LA uh, warehouse garage. We're having a little heat wave here in California in LA. (laughs) Yesterday it was 90 degrees in January, 90 degrees. So, uh, of course, I've got my leather on and multiple layers, but I'm happy to be back on the show. And uh, I have to say congrats on three guys and four wheels. You're in some good company. The name is awesome. And uh, I'm pretty excited to, to see the show and learn all about it. So congrats on that. Thank you, Magnus. I really appreciate it. Actually, I love that you've got the leathers on because it occurred to me, you know, we've hung out in a few different places, including Le Mans, actually, where I think there was a heat wave then and the jacket never came off. (laughs) I mean, do you not sweat? Are you like Prince Andrew? I'm always bringing the heat. You know, the thing is, the warehouse is old. It's a, you know, 120-year-old brick building. The funny thing is, you know, I take time to acclimatize. So normally I've got four layers on. Here's a funny quick story. Yesterday was 90 degrees. I'm filming in the river. I'm down to two layers, a T-shirt and a, and a flannel. Today I come in the warehouse. I don't have my thermal on. I have to raid the old archives of the series clothing because it's cold. I know I'm going to be sat for a little bit of time talking. So, uh I like layers. I, I like, you know, it's, for me, it's always better to be able to take things off rather than put things on. So uh, I may be doing a strip tease later on because i got a feeling this is going to be heating up. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm always wearing the leather. It's part of my second skin. I love it, man. I love it. Well, look, I mean, obviously, our listeners will know you. I mean, you're known under many different names. I think the coolest one is probably Urban Outlaw, which is wicked. I've heard many people describe you as Mr. 9-11, the beard, the dreads. You're just basically, if it's Porsche, but but it's moving away from Porsche as well. We'll discuss that shortly. Not away from, but including a whole raft of other cars as well. But you have been known as a man on the car scene amongst all your other amazing careers and the backdrop of the fashion label and your housing and your developments and all the rest of it, cars have been, they've been coursing through your veins since the age of zip, haven't they? Yeah, you know, the story's familiar. Ten-year-old London Olds Court Motor Show, poster on the wall, fell in love with Porsche. But it really started before that. You know, I grew up in Sheffield, um, working class. So it wasn't like we had a cool car in the family. But my dad was into motorsports, and I suppose my love affair with four wheels started watching Grandstand, you know, in the mid-70s, the glory years of, you know, James Hunt and Barry Sheen, 1976, you know, Formula One world champion and Barry Sheen uh, world superbike champion. So I always watched a lot of motorsports, and that was usually in the format of Grandstand on a Saturday or going to local tracks such as Donington, Mallory Park, Cadwell Park, 
with my dad and just watching. But uh, even though we didn't have a cool car, my dad was a salesman in, in company cars, but nothing ever exciting. But uh, my uncle David, he was the guy that had done pretty well for himself and actually had a Ferrari Dino around that period, which oh. he actually traded into a Ferrari 308 GTB, a fiberglass one. <laughs> but before that, my uncle David and my dad actually built a Lotus 47 in my uncle David's garage that he bought from Lotus in kit form back in like 69 or 70. So uh, even though I didn't grow up around personally having cool cars, uh, there was a little bit of exposure to them at an early age. But I never had a driver's license in England. You know, I lived in, my whole time was 19 years in Sheffield. I'd go everywhere on the bus for literally five pence or 20 pence or whatever it might've been at the time. So I never had a UK driver's license and never owned a car in England. <laughs> wow. I mean, what, what's interesting about that, Magnus, is that actually... The, the, the foundations weren't just in appreciating beautiful cars, but were also being, having seen them put together, having seen the manipulations. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of your career has been making and doing, getting your hands dirty, be it a sewing machine or a welding machine or whatever it is. You've always been really hands-on. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think I, when I sit back and think, and I had to do this when the book came out, which was how I first met you back in 2017, you know, life is one of those things that you're constantly moving. So for me personally, I never really sat back and thought about how did I get here just from one thing to the next. And when I did the book, interestingly, uh, obviously I had to sort of think back, you know, born Sheffield, 1967. I thought about my journey. And I think a lot of what I would call my hands-on entrepreneurial experience was really from my mum's side of the family who were market traders and sort of self-taught entrepreneurs. My mum taught me how to sew. Even though I never worked on cars with my dad, I heard a lot of stories that my dad would tell about aquaplaning in the Lotus 47, you know, on the M1 going north at midnight or whatever triple digit speed it was. So, you know, for me, it was always trial and error, learn as you go, but never really being afraid of failure. And I think that was the key uh, of leaving school at 15 and then coming to LA and sort of doing what I wanted to do without anyone telling me, cut your hair and get a real job scenario. It was just find things that you sort of intrigued by, things that energize you, things that excite you. Sort of like me waking up at 2.30 in the morning thinking about that photo shoot that I'd done yesterday in the river. I'm still engaged in that way. And, you know, this year I turned 54 years old. So I don't think that has really changed. And I think my long-winded answer to your question is, that sort of working with your hands mentality, whatever it may be, whether you're a gardener or a sewer or, or a musician or whatever it may be, I think that is something that's in your DNA. I think you either have it or you don't. I don't necessarily think you can go to school, take a class and go learn to work with your hands. They can teach you the skills and the fundamentals, but really it comes from within here, the heart. You have to sort of want to get your hands dirty in whatever it is you're doing. And uh, I think I had that at an early age. I had a lot of drive at an early age uh, from when I was a cross-country middle-distance runner. And that's really never left me. There's obviously highs and lows in life, but um, just do things that you're excited about, and generally they'll come out pretty good because you'll give 110%. And I still feel that way to this day. That hasn't changed for me. Do you know what I love about this, Magnus? And I know I know John's itching to talk cars with you, and of course I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce him and get him involved in a second. But I just wanted to kind of carry on because I've always found you very very inspiring. Not just your story and the things you've achieved, but your mantra to life. You know, I'll never forget 
one time we were talking and I was like, how, how was all these doors that have opened and stuff? And you said, well, do you know what, Andy? One of the things I do is I take a beat and then say yes. And it's, you just have this kind of let's do it mentality. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, that, I'm still like that to this day. <clears throat> you know, yesterday's shoot in the river was one of these things that I wanted to do for some time, but I knew it was going to be challenging the way we were going to do it. Getting these two cars onto this 45 degree concrete bank thing. And then, you know, the fear of them sliding into each other and stuff. So there's, there's always for me, if you've got this, wow, this seems kind of scary feeling. And I've always said this, just go forward and keep doing it. You know, it's like set yourself a little goal, set yourself a little challenge, whatever it may be every day. It's baby steps, right? You know, it's like that saying, you know, you take one step at a time type of thing. So uh, I'm still that way to this day. And I think I tend to say yes more than I say no to things that, you know, some other people may be a little unsure of. And I get it. There's always a fear element to a lot of things. But uh, overcoming that fear is obviously, uh, I think, for me, the drive that keeps pushing me forward with whatever it is I'm doing. I have to say, it, it's become almost a, a recurring topic of conversation when speaking to people in the automotive world who've done quite well in their industry. And, and that is, it, it is that approach of, if someone gives you an opportunity, you don't necessarily know how to do it. Just kind of, just wing it, perhaps just say yes and figure it out and see how it goes along the way. I personally, I've said this before on our podcast to a few different guests, I sometimes find myself getting really bad imposter syndrome because I feel like, I'm, I'm working in an industry at a fairly high level in a job that I don't really have any qualifications to do. But I often feel like when I speak to people who are of a much younger age and aspiring to get to a similar working environment to the one I'm in, the advice I always give is very similar to what you've just said. If you find something you really enjoy, just have a go. And it, it does tend to just happen. You know, if you have the passion for it and you have the drive and you want it, you want to succeed, it does tend to happen. Would you say that you're almost at an advantage in not having been taught the way to do certain things? I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who I would, you know, term as entrepreneurs who have zero experience in the field that they've become successful in. You know, I think the simple things to say that drive the motivation, they're not always easy to do. But I've often said, if you don't actually have any real background in education, you don't know where the boundaries are of where you're supposed to be, right? A lot of people box themselves in. If you haven't boxed yourself in, you can go real wide, right, until you're out of frame. And then anything becomes possible. You're not restricted to doing one certain thing. You know, fork in the road, you go left, right, or straight, or whatever it may be. Sometimes you make a U-turn, go backwards, and go down a dirt road, get lost, get found. And you're like, oh, I never thought about that. But organically or accidentally, or you ran into someone, and that sparked a conversation, and that went somewhere else. So, um, yeah, I agree with everything that he's saying. I mean, the thing that really nailed it for me from other people's perspective was when I did a TED Talk back in 2014. So that's now seven years ago. I had more people give me feedback from on a positive tip from watching me ramble on like I always do, talking about passion and life, who had no idea who I was. But I got more response from people saying, you inspired me to go do something than I ever got from people saying, hey, I really like the cars you built. And I had no idea what a TED Talk was. It's just sometimes people tend to overthink things. You know, there is a, a certain tendency, I think, to overthink it, overcomplicate it. But for me, I, I think less is more, keep it simple, but yet don't have any boundaries. And when opportunities come, uh, I tend to say yes more than I say no. And it's, it's really starting to open me up. I'm sort of on this 
regirth in a way or rebirth in a way. You know, I turned 50 a couple of years ago. I'd had some highs and low in my life. I'm in a, a new relationship with a wonderful woman, Hannah Elliott. We've moved in together. So it's sort of like the second chapter of my life. Turning 50 is a little bit of a milestone. But, you know, I, I feel that just keep moving forward. Opportunities come. I'm branching out a little bit beyond probably what I'm traditionally known for, which was what Andy was saying to begin with. And um, I just like creating and collaborating in different mediums, in different areas, doing different things. And 2020, we all know it's been a really strange year. But for me, it's actually been the one year that I haven't traveled. The past seven years, I was living out of a suitcase and barely in LA, you know, maybe one week a month and doing all these great things. But yet, it's it, the past year has been for me, I, I've, I've done stuff that I'd always wanted to do over the past few years, but I always sort of made an excuse. Well, I'm not going to be in one place long enough to do it. Or, you know, people would say you should do a podcast. And I'm like, well, how am I going to do that? And then I figured out with my buddy in New York, hey, let's do these IG lives, you know, and it was just a way of sort of sharing time and stories. And the interesting thing about the IG live was people had mentioned podcasts. And like I said, I've done a lot of them from you guys to Rogan and everything in between. But the IG Live started with me and my buddy, Phil, Mr. Enthusiast in New York, just geezer talk, two guys rambling on about whatever, cars, food, farting, whatever it was, watches, guitars, <laughs> art, that was it. But the key one in the car world was I did one with Ian Callum, probably early days of COVID. So this was probably April of last year. And weirdly, like, you know, it went down really well. You know, I was a little, because I've never really interviewed people. I'm always on the other side rambling on. But the interesting point about the IG Live and Ian Callum was within 24 hours of doing that, essentially I'd got emails from Porsche saying, why are you not doing one with us? And then long story short, this sort of snowballed to doing ones with Lamborghini and Mercedes and even, you know, Gordon Murray. You know, I did one with him on the T50 launch the day after it came out. And what happened is people started approaching me. You know, remember, I'm just the one guy. I don't have a team. I'm doing my whole life on this phone that you're looking at here. But it was a catalyst of something was put in motion that I'd sort of thought about doing, but I'd made some excuses as to how can I do a podcast. I don't even own a laptop. And this is true. Up to this point in my life, I don't own a laptop. So I'd, I'd sort of restricted myself a little bit. And then it was like, oh, fuck it. Let's just try this IG live. And then I ended up doing them with artists. I did one with a Michelin five-star chef. I did one with musicians. And perhaps the most watched one was I did one with this Israeli artist here in L.A. called Toma. And his thing is he does a life-size portrait, well, larger than life. He painted a, a portrait of me that was 8 by 10 in 15 minutes. And I went to his studio and watched him do it live, and then that was part of the IG Live. And ironically, that was the most viewed one. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is it got me out of my comfort zone of just trying to do the same thing over and over again. I finally got behind the sewing machine for the first time in like 10 years, you know, started making some face masks. And then I started a little outlaw cooking show. So in a way, it sort of kickstarted my creativity because when I've been traveling all over the world, going to admittedly great events, Goodwood Festival of Speed and Old Timer GP and whatever it was and seeing the world, I was just kind of a spectator there. I wasn't actually really creating anything weirdly. You know, I'd, I'd done some great things like I drove the Million Million and I drove across Australia. But back to this one-man army thing, I didn't have a production team with me to, you know, strap on some cameras and actually film these somewhat interesting epic adventures like doing the Million Million, for example. I never even filmed it, you know. So 
for me, I'm kind of on this rebirth of getting creative again in different formats and collaborating with interesting people on some pretty cool upcoming projects. There's a certain joy in that, though, isn't there, in having these big adventures. And I've done it. I've done similar things where I find myself or I think back to a time before I had GoPros and, you know, it's almost become instinctive now. We do anything remotely interesting. We take a bag of GoPros and stick them up just in case we catch something cool. And I often think back to the stuff pre-GoPros. So before I ever thought even having the idea of capturing anything. And initially there was a thought of, God, I wish I had captured that. But more so nowadays, the more that we are capturing things, I often think back and think, do you know what? Actually, no, I'm glad that I was kind of enjoying it for that moment because the minute you're conscious about hitting record on a gopro yeah. or how much storage i've got left on that memory card or i must make right. sure i do enough today in order to make this pad out and be a, a feature or a video it kind of takes away from that that true experience of what you're doing yeah i still haven't got to that point yet believe it or not like uh back to not owning a laptop i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing people are always amazed that i don't own a laptop <laughs> i actually recently just ordered one it's supposed to come next week so it'll be interesting to see if what you described if i become that person where i'm always worried about slapping gopros on because even though i've done a lot of filming it's usually on other people's stuff mm. you know I, yeah i'm pretty active out there on social media but you know, it's, it's always sort of simple stuff. So I guess time will tell, but so far I'm enjoying the journey of, of getting to where I'm at. I reckon there'll be a time, Magnus, where you're going to get used to all the tech quickly, you know, so you'll be like, yeah, let's get cameras here. But I'm just kind of jumping ahead like three or four years. You'll have a drone following you everywhere. Because <laughs> like, it's just some of the shots that you talk about, you know, like the, the one you did last night with the 277 and such and such, you know, the drone that can get the aerial shot as well. You know, it, it's just so glorious, isn't it? Of course, there were two drones, because what's happening yeah. yesterday is I've teamed up with this really talented photographer who's doing a series of uh, pretty cool shots of me and my Porsches, and we're trying to do things that haven't necessarily been done before. And the river was like a great example. Like, most people don't really go in it. If they do, they're on the flat part. I've yet to see anyone other than, let's say, a film like Terminator or Gone in 60 Seconds, where people are actually on the banking. And, of course, we're doing this all guerrilla style, right? We're just driving in and winging it. But the point I'm rambling on again about is they had two little drones whizzing around and buzzing around overhead, dive-bombing you and dropping down under the bridges and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that type of footage does always look pretty epic, you know? So uh, that's already sort of happening. But you are right about those shots do add elements of uh, just visual excitement for sure it sounds to yeah, me yeah. like you've got the perfect setup you've you i don't think you're ever going to have to worry about turning on the gopro because anything cool that you're doing there seems to be somebody there capturing it anyway so i i just continue riding that wave if i were you you've got somebody documenting the fun and you can you can store the good stuff in your memories yeah you know and that's kind of how it's been you know the past almost 10 years i mean I always go back to 2012. 2012 was pivotal because that was when Tamir Moscovici's film Urban Outlaw came out. And that really sort of opened the door. I mean, I, I don't think I've really changed. I'm older, the beard's grayer, but what has changed is more people are aware of what I do. And of course that opens up opportunities such as we're discussing to collaborate with other people. But if it wasn't for Tamir's film, which was a leap of faith and, you know, back then in 2012, 
the sort of content creation world, let's call it, wasn't quite what it is today. And to me, it was a little bit ahead of the curve with doing something that was really cinematic. And to this day, of the of all the stuff I've done after Urban Outlaw, I don't think anything's actually come up to the standard, the quality, the pace, the edit, the feel. Mm. Like that film actually has a, a good pace to it, a good feel to it. And mm. I think that's part of the relatability. You know, I don't necessarily watch a lot of car content really because I'm out doing sort of living my own life. But occasionally you'll sit back and watch something. You go, oh, that's the shots are awesome, but they didn't quite capture the emotion or the spirit mm. or the excitement or, or the engagement. And uh, I always have to thank Tamir because that was what he actually excelled at really well was capturing that that excitement of my journey. No, you're so right that 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 original the Urban Outlaw piece is is it is cinematic's the perfect word. But but I've got to say, Magnus, you know the new show, the one that comes out every Friday evening, which I'd love you to tell us about. That looks really really premium quality as well. You know, is and not just because of your charisma and what you're saying and the cars you're driving, but it has been beautifully documented. Well, I appreciate the kind words. Uh, uh, I much appreciate it. I think you're too kind, but uh, thank you for that. Yeah, the, the new show I'm working on is, is called The Next Big Thing. I call it TV on YouTube. You know, I, I've wanted to do a show for quite some time. I've gone down the slippery slope of being approached. Obviously, being in L.A., there's a lot of production companies. People are always <clears throat> looking for car content and stuff. Uh, but I could never sort of find the peop- the right people that I wanted to work with to do what it is I wanted to do. You know, there's a lot of car shows out there. This one's a little bit different in the sense of it, it's not a compa- it's not a comparison, really. It's not a numbers, you know, zero to 60 performance show. The goal, of, <clears throat> the goal of the show, the next big thing, essentially, is me finding cars that I'm interested in personally that are perhaps the underdog, unloved, under the radar, or forgotten type of cars. So they could... Be anything from a Saab 900 Turbo to sort of a Datsun 510 to a Jeep Grand Wagoneer. So that's sort of the premise of the show. And for me, it's about finding not just these type of cars, but interesting people that own these cars and then sharing their stories of where they've come from. It's, it's, it's always the way, isn't it? The, car, the cars are the catalyst, but the, uh, yeah, as, a, as a physical thing made of metal with rubber tires and an engine yeah that, that can be very complex and exciting but the the true joy is always the stories that come with what is it you know why is that particular car so ingrained in a person's personality what what is it that made them sell everything they possibly could to own it it's uh, yeah the, the the journeys and the stories that come with owning these really cool cars is uh, is definitely the highlight of it all for me yeah and for me you know these cars that are on my list you know, the first car I ever bought was a 1977 Toyota Corolla. I paid $200 for that. That was what I learned to drive in here in L.A. in 1988 when I was 21. So that's the car that's on my list. Maybe that's the car that could be a next big thing car. I want a Saab 900 Turbo. So these are the type of, of cars that we're featuring. It's not the next big budget thing or it's not the next big super exotic thing. So we have the freedom to sort of roam around. Like, you know, the next episode that comes out on Friday is sort of the Italian budget supercar thing. So we've got a Lamborghini Esparta. And when you think of Lamborghini, you know, that's not the Lamborghini you think of straight away. You know, it has to be, you say Lamborghini, everyone's going to think if you're our age, Countach, 
if you're younger, a kid today, you're thinking of, you know, Huracan or Ventador, whatever the latest, greatest Lamborghini is. But no one's thinking of Lamborghini or Sparta. You don't even mm. see them. So in, in what is episode three, I'm driving a Lamborghini or Sparta 1970 and a uh, 75 Gen 1 Ferrari 308 GT4 Dino. Okay. These are both the Batoni design cars, and they're probably both the ugly duckling unloved versions of that mark. You know, like a Ferrari 308 GT4 is probably just coming into its element of a design icon now 45 years later. But that's not the car you think of when you think of Ferrari, right? And that's not the car that's getting the Tifosi excited because, you know, it's not a real Ferrari to those people. So, you know, I'm kind of sharing those stories of the people that own those cars. And weirdly, you know, we shot six episodes and this whole thing came about pretty organically. It's on the Haggerty YouTube channel but it was very last minute. I had a phone call with Larry Webster at Haggerty. He used to be at Road and Track. And uh, I said, hey, I've got an idea for a show. He liked the idea of the show. And this conversation was probably in November of last year. You know, we mm -hmm. had one conversation. Then he gets back to me, goes, unfortunately, we've spent all our budget for 2020. We'll follow up with you, you know, later on. And at first I thought, oh, well, it's not meant to be. I understand it's last minute, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, then he called me back like two days later and literally said, hey, I think we've found a way that we can do this. And then we teamed up with this production company called Tangent Vector, who shoots a lot of quality car content. They actually, uh, Porsche is a client of theirs, so they do a lot of Porsche content. So anyway, we had like three Zoom calls. I had a list of 25 cars. We narrowed it down to 12 and then narrowed it down to six. And then, of course, you know, I said to him, hey, I don't just want to host this. You know, I want to be a producer on it. I actually want to source the people and the cars. So, you know, I, we do one episode where it's Toyota Cressida wagons from the 70s. <laughs> and there's two of these parked in the neighborhood where I live. So I did what we've all done, right? I left a note on the guy's car. We've Brilliant. all left a note. If you ever <laughs> want to see this car, call me type of thing. So I left a note. Hey, I'm, you know, I dig your car. It's really cool. My name's Magnus. I'm working on a... A uh, car show called The Next Big Thing. We'd love to feature your Toyota Crested a Wagon. Left my phone number. The guy called me back. So that's kind of how organically the show has developed. I mean, Haggerty has a big database because they're an insurance company. So, of course, they can go down their list and try and find, okay, who has such and such a car? But for me, I, I, I want to be involved in it. You know, it's not like, hey, let's just go rent a car from Turo and feature that. I, I, I want to see the owner and hear his stories. So the first one we did was uh, my buddy Paul Zuckerman owns an E39 M5, right? And, you know, this is a pretty common car. Maybe not the M5 part of it, but, you know, there's a lot of BMWs out there. And when you think of, you know, a performance car, you're not necessarily thinking of a four-door series, you know, E39 BMW, you know. But those cars, are, as you know, are surprisingly quick. And so that was the first episode we shot. And then, of course, we had a little tie-in with the Guy Ritchie, Madonna, Clive yeah, Owen. Cool. You know, a uh, film which, you know, was a pretty impressive film 20 years ago. But here's the weird thing, you know, we shot three episodes, took a week off, shot another three episodes. And I didn't necessarily think the BMW M5 was going to be the, the, the best lead-in car for the first episode. Uh, but it turned out to have done really, really well. And what happened organically, back to organic, was that episode got picked up by a lot of sort of BMW forums, chat rooms, and blogs. And, of course, they reposted the episode and everyone connects to a certain car right i always say yeah i'm a porsche guy it's my religion my drug of choice but all true car guys have your own 
brand flavor of car, whether it's a Subaru or, you know, whatever it may be, a sport import tuner or a European sports car, an off-road car, you know, you just pick your own poison. And uh, the interesting thing about the M5 is everyone sort of has a BMW story. Believe it or not, I've owned four BMWs. No one really knows about that. But I had three three series and I had the, the poor man's M5. I had a 545. And these were like daily driver, grocery getter cars. So I think uh, I think what people are connecting with the show is the relatability. Yeah. It's not yeah. about uh, the next hypercar or breaking 300 miles an hour. It's, oh, yeah, my dad had a Jeep Grand Wagoneer or, you know, my uncle had a this or my first car was a that. A that. I think part of um, my thing is people relate in a way to my story, because I'm no different to anyone else, right? We're all sort of gearheads, motorheads, excited about wheels and journeys and cars and stories. And so essentially, in a nutshell, that's what the next big thing is. So uh, we shot six episodes. Episode number four is a Dodge Viper, a Gen 5 2014, because <laughs> a Viper is a car that's actually on my own wish list. Then we shot a, a Jag XJS, another car on my wish list. And then we did the, the wagon episode, which was a Toyota Cressida wagons and a Mercedes 123-300 wagon where I'm fishing in the LA River. Now, like, wagons are polarizing, right? You know, we could have done a wagon story on an Audi and a Mercedes and a Porsche Panamera and done a new wagon story. But the, the sort of theory here is it's more sort of vintage, classic-type cars that could be the next big thing you know, cars that you can buy for next to nothing. Like I really want yeah. to do, if it gets picked up for season two, I want to do a Gen 1 box. My, my original goal yeah. for season one was, I don't necessarily want to do a Porsche in it because it would be too obvious, even though right. there's plenty right. of Porsches that could be the next big thing, you know, a Gen 1996 or a Gen 1 Boxer, especially as it's like a the 25th anniversary of the Boxer. And in the States, you can pick them up for five grand. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. these will be sort of cars that hopefully we'll get to feature in, you know, future episodes so uh it's absolutely getting a second series magnus there's no way it won't <laughs> it's it's glorious well thanks for watching and thanks for the kind words i mean ultimately for me i really enjoyed doing it and i always say you know i never like to be forced into anything you know back to the cut your hair and get a real job so for me i'm at the point where i suppose i'm fortunate to be able to pick and choose what i want to do and just sort of enjoy these these moments and stories. And like you can probably tell, I'm pretty buzzed about the show because I had fun doing it and I'm proud of it and I think it looks pretty good. So uh, thanks for watching it. No, it's great, man. I, I'm buzzing for the next one. In fact, I sent the first episode, when you sent me the link to it, I sent it through to John and within like 15 minutes, there was just an emoji of the drooling face. <laughs> you know, he was just, it was just, mind you, you're speaking his language when you say those magic letters BMW because whilst you're Porsche, John is BMW, particularly M series. It's so true. Okay. You, you say everyone's got their, their choice of poison and, and mine for me is BMW M cars and specifically for me the golden era is mid 90s to mid noughties so E39 M5 okay. is is one of the halo cars and again you 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 say as you were saying the words it was kind of it was flourishing in my mind that there are certain cars where everybody's got a story and for me an E39 M5 despite the fact that I personally have never owned an E39 M5 I've got a handful of friends that have all had some and some of the most fantastic car stories that I could tell, probably car stories I, I can't tell on a, on a public podcast, yeah. involve an E39 M5 because it's just it is such a fabulous car. But yeah, I think uh, I'm fascinated to see where this series goes. And I, I, I watched 
the latest episode about 10 15 minutes before we jumped on this this call actually with the the wagoneer and as a as a brit that's not really a car we have much exposure to over here i gather in the us they're very popular because of course the the uh, the overlanding and whatnot but that specifically that minty green wagoneer that uh that Jeep had put together with the five seven Hemi and everything else. I'm just watching that, thinking, why why aren't there millions of those things? Because if Jeep actually put the time and effort into making something like a modern rebuild, an outlaw, as you said it, version of a car like that, my God, people around the world would be buying them like crazy. Yeah, I mean, it seems pretty simple. You know, I guess Jonathan Icon is is you know doing something sort of similar, but not with a Wagoneer, but. Yeah, I mean, you, you often say, why are more people not doing this? But back to BMW, you know, and, and you know, I think about Alex Roy driving across country in, in a, you know, five series BMW in record breaking time. Uh, one, I, one of my all time sort of quickest drives from Vegas to LA, believe it or not, was in a 328 BMW. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in a 911. There's something about those cars that, at least here in the States, because they're absolutely everywhere, they blend mm-hmm. in. You know, and uh, I made it back from Vegas without really trying one time from the SEMA show in a little over three hours, which is pretty quick because it's like 265 yeah, miles. I think it was like three hours, 10, three hours, 15 minutes. But I wasn't really trying. But the point I'm trying to make is you're just able to cruise at a certain speed under the radar in and out of traffic with no one blocking you. I've driven to Vegas a lot of times in 911s. People see you coming up, they deliberately move over, they slow you down. Mm. So you're not necessarily going any faster. Well, I was probably going slower in technically a car that was way faster than a 328 BMW. A 328 BMW, you know, it's like one step above base model. (laughs) But um, just, I guess, the ultimate driving machine for a reason. That's it. Or somewhere. Love it. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Magnus, I remember, what, like like four years ago or something, you were close to the quest of your... Porsche collection I think you were was it three short how are you getting on now well the collection has you know sort of evolved as my sort of um not taste has evolved but priorities have changed and priorities have shifted so the early collection was 64 through 73 I ticked that goal then it was three liter turbos from 75 to 77 I ticked that goal the new goal now is one of everything Porsche's ever made in a sports car. So it's front engine, mid engine, rear engine, air and water cooled. So believe it or not, the front engine, Vasic cooled transaxle cars, I've ticked that box. So that's 924, 928, 944, 968, and various variations of that. You know, 924 Turbo, uh, 924 Carrera GT, and various other things. Uh, the stumbling block so far really is. Uh, mid-engine. I've got the 914, which covers mid-engine air-cooled. So I need a mid-engine water-cooled, which would be the Gen 1 Boxster. But mm. yeah, I need a roof so my beard's not blown in the wind. So <laughs> the mid-engine water-cooled uh, part of that is going to be probably a Gen 1 Cayman, Cayman S or yeah. Cayman R. You know, I've, I love the Caymans. You know, obviously GT4 is the holy grail of Caymans, but, you know, that's kind of an expensive car. And then when it comes to 911s, I'm up to 996. The past three, four years, I've acquired some water-cooled 911s. It started with an 04 GT3, which is right there. Then I got um, uh, a GT2, uh, Gen 2, 02. And then I got a Gen 1, which I think is, you know, if you want to talk about 911 sort of value, 
because people always email me quite often, hey, first time Porsche owner, what do you suggest? And I go, well, it depends on the budget. You got five grand, get a Boxster, and then, you know, the sky's the limit and everything in between. But if you have to have a 911, I always say Gen 1996. And we all know you can't have a conversation with the 996 without talking about two things, right? IMS bearing failure issue potential and ugly headlights. But on the positive side, you know, value for money in Porsche's first water-cooled 911. This is an icon of the Porsche 911 lineage being the first water-cooled version of it. So I, I, I've acquired a few 996s recently, but I haven't gone beyond that. I'm thinking maybe 997 Turbo, and then it gets a little iffy for me because the new generation 991, 992s, I've never owned a new Porsche. You know, on these cars, you know, for me, I'm acquiring my cars. The reason I've had quite a few of them is I'm not necessarily spending big money on the Porsches that I've owned. I've always sort of been ahead of the trend, which ironically was how the next big thing came about. I was buying turbos when they were sort of a quarter or a fifth of their value today. You know, ironically, five, 10 years ago, you could pick them up for 20 grand, three liter turbos, early ones. Wow. So for I'd... me, it's always about value. You know, I'd sooner have four or five vintage cars than one brand new 991 or 992. So that's kind of where the Porsche collection is. And then I've sort of spread out a little bit. I've gone back to my roots. I've gone down the slippery slope of uh, getting back into British car ownership. Two years ago, I bought a uh, 1979 S2 Lotus Esprit off a bring a trailer. I, back in the day in the 90s, I owned a 73 Lotus Europa twin cam. So I went back down into the British car world. Uh, I'm, I have a project I'm sort of working towards, and that's a hot rod E-type Jag. But of course, you know, oh. I want to do the unloved ugly duckling. When you think of E-type Jag, yeah. you're not necessarily thinking of two plus two automatic. But these are the affordable, obtainable E-Type Jags today. You know, and I used to own a 67 Series 1 coupe, four-speed manual. So I get the Series 1 holy grail. But from an affordability point of view, the ugly duckling 2 plus 2 automatic E-Type is a lot of bang for the buck. But my goal is I found this blue Series 3 V12 71. It's got this perfect patinaed blue two-tone faded paint. So what I want to do is keep all the patina and character but do a five or six speed gate rag manual transmission conversion and try and get about 400 horsepower out of the V12 and then redo all the underpinnings and suspension. So kind of a rat rod resto mod uh, E-type Jag manual conversion on the two plus two. So I you know, I've branched out a little beyond the, not the confines and restraints of the Porsche, but um, you know, I'm starting to want to eat something different every day. So uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask, and I'm sure this is a question you've had many times before, if the 911 was taken out of, uh, out of the equation, what would be your go-to car of choice? What would it be? Because at the moment we're watching you on a Zoom call. The, the listeners can't see that, obviously. But behind you, we can see two or three 911s. You're obviously surrounded by 911s all the time. If the 911s were gone, what do you think would be the alternative car? Would it be one mark or one model, or would it be a collection of lots of different things? I think it would be a collection, you know. Um... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Recently, well, last year, I, I bought my girlfriend Hannah for her birthday a 560 SL Mercedes in 88. Nice. Kind of happened on a whim. We, we were driving back from Vegas in the 928 from SEMA. We stopped off in Palm Springs. There was this sort of ropey used car dealership on the corner. You know, and they've got an eclectic bunch of everything. But, you know, it's like mostly American cars with a smattering of some European stuff. Anyway, we saw an SL there and it was like really affordable, like 10 grand. And that wasn't the car we ended up buying. We actually got something a little bit later and a little bit nicer. And this is a, a long rambling answer to your story. But we acquired this Mercedes. We liked it, but it had some sort of issues that weren't going away. Drones and rattles and squeaks. And long story short, we ended up trading it in for a 1975 Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow long wheelbase <laughs> car in this olive shade of greener, like a Harrods green with a chocolate brown interior. And I'm not saying a 1975 Rolls-Royce would be the one car I would want forever if it wasn't for a 911. But I'd, I'd sort of always wanted a Rolls-Royce from the 70s, from that era. Because, you know, it's kind of like growing up as a kid, I watched all these shows and it was either American car shows, you know, uh, Dukes of Hazard, Starsky and Hutch, Rockford Files. So that was where my love affair of Americana shows started. Or it was British shows like the Sweeney and, you know, all the gangsters or scrap dealers would always sort of be in a Rolls Royce or, you know, the, the, they'd be driving some other sort of English car. And I always thought a, a Rolls Royce from that era was super cool and really affordable. And of course, you know, we told a couple of buddies and they said, oh, you should run away from that. Don't even <laughs> think about it. It's the craziest thing you'll ever do. There's nothing more expensive than a cheap Rolls Royce. And to a certain degree, they may be right, but we've had really no issues with this car. And there's a real sense of every time you get in it, even if it's to go to the grocery store, there's a certain sense of pride. And, you know, it's a car that you can buy in the teens. So it's not an expensive car. But you don't look like a douchebag like you may in a new Rolls Royce, potentially. Yep. No one's offended by it. It's a conversation starter at every stop sign, at every traffic light. You know, you're going down the road. This is going straight in a 1975 <laughs> Rolls Royce. This is exactly what it's like. So it sort of teaches me to slow down a little bit. It has a working eight-track stereo it smells of old Connolly leather, and it's nostalgia, I think. I think it's nostalgia. It's all the things that new cars don't give you mm. that old cars do. We've all had the conversation about everything new really performs really well. I often say you have to evolve with the times, otherwise you're going to become an antiquated dinosaur. You know, we're having a conversation on a modern smartphone. So you have to move forward with technology, and I get it. There's a time and place for everything when it comes to new cars. But they don't give you those senses that a 45-year-old Rolls-Royce does or, you know, a 50-year-old E-Type Jag does. 
So for me, you know, I don't necessarily commute to work. So it's not like I need a car that's really mega super reliable because I'm doing 100 miles to work and back each day. So that's where old cars are still, for me, in a way, somewhat practical. But it's more the sense of the occasion and the drive and the journey, which is what I always talk about. New cars are great for commuting. You know, if you're stuck in traffic, takes you an hour to go 20 miles. I get it. I'm not even opposed to autonomous driving cars. If you got to go from downtown LA to Santa Monica and that 18 mile drive can take an hour and a half, you know, that's no fun in a GT2 with a heavy clutch. Trust me, I've done it. So there's a time and place for everything, right? So, uh, you know, I guess that's a loose answer to your question of uh, I'm all about cars that invoke emotion and uh, sentimental value. You know, these are childhood dreams that I'd sort of had as a kid that I'm now able to to live and enjoy without spending an arm and a leg. I mean, you can't buy Rolls Royces that are reliable in the teens, at least here in the States. You know, it's funny because I think this is often a test between a true car guy and somebody who likes cars. And it's that the statement you said, you know, you'll never find anything more expensive than an expensive Rolls Royce. That to me is a statement that comes from somebody that doesn't really know that much about cars. Because to me, yeah. the joy of classic cars is the simplicity. Anything pre, pre-1990 really is, if something breaks, chances are you can fix it with a basic toolkit, some WD-40 and some duct tape, or yeah, at least a- get you a repair that's going to get you to the workshop. New performance cars absolutely terrify me because there is so much going on. And I guess if you've got the means to go out and buy a brand new supercar that's going to have a warranty for three years or so, then you're fine. You're going to be fine because the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to break down, a truck's going to come along, the car goes on the back of the truck, and somebody with a computer repairs it. But it's that that window of the five-year-old modern performance car, for me, just seems like the most terrifying concept in the world. Because anything that goes wrong there, it's just a mystery. And there are so many parts and components and interfering computer systems that all communicate with each other. And if one decides it doesn't want to work today, then the others aren't going to work properly. It, it blows my mind. Whereas the idea of a 1970s Rolls Royce, there's an engine which is nuts and bolts connected to a suspension system that's nuts and bolts with yeah. an interior system which is ultimately nuts and bolts, maybe a couple of electrical bits and pieces here and there, which worst case scenario might blow a fuse but yeah, it's it it's I, I love hearing those sort of statements. You know, oh, don't buy a classic Rolls Royce; it's going to be an absolute nightmare. No, it's not. Yeah. It's going to be absolutely fine as long as you have a rough rough understanding of how these things work. You'll have fine. Yeah, there's no computers on that. You know, it's like <clears throat> I actually currently have a, a Lotus Evora GT press car loaner for a month, long term loaner. I, I really really like it. But there's certain quirks that just modern cars have, right? You know, I'm one of those guys that I'm used to like these old 911s where you can trail brake, left foot brake into a corner and you're still partially on throttle, but you're, you know, balancing the front end with a left foot brake. So just, I kind of do that quite often. I do it in the Lotus, all of a sudden it's like spluttering and the, the computer has sensed that my foot is on the brake and the yeah. gas at the same time. So it's cut off, you know, the fuel. So all of a sudden I'm in the corner, I've got fuel starvation. You know, those things you don't get in old cars, but you get them in new cars because these brains are talking to each other and, oh, we've got to cut fuel because he has his foot on the brake and the gas at the same time, or, Mm. you know, they don't assume potentially your left foot braking or whatever it may be, right? That doesn't happen in old cars. Well, Magnus, you you know, you talk about the the passion and and the the history of buying an old car and how it evokes memories and, and... we're all with you. I mean, we're all converts. We all love the classics. And John and I have discussed this extensively on this show before. And Amy, when she joins us as well. But the thing is, you've also, thanks 
in part because of your you're an automotive man who's who's known throughout the world and, and everyone wants you around their launches and whatnot but also thanks to hannah of course who's a fantastic automotive journalist for bloomberg you have been to when the world was moving again pretty much every launch out there for all the latest new cars so you're very well equipped to be able to say about the future because my fear for modern cars, because as, as we've all alluded to, there's no such thing as a bad new car because they're all basically reliable and will go a certain distance and so on and so forth. But what they are lacking is that soul that these classics that you allude to and the cars that yeah. you're passionate about and, and the ones in your show have all got in common. It is the soul. It is the excitement. It is the joy that they bring. And so I guess what I'm saying is when we move forward... I'm doing a John, John Markar-esque super long show here, aren't I? But when we move forward into our everything has to be electrified or hydrogen or whatever, you know, they take away our ice engines. Will there still be that spirit in the vehicles? Because you've driven a lot of prototypes as well. Do they still have it? Or is it just going to be a kind of machine that functions to get you places? Well, you know, I, I often say new cars are like appliances. You know, I'm going to start going backwards first in my rambling answer. I'm hoping as long as we can still get oil and gasoline, we're still going to be driving our old internal combustion motor cars. And, you know, when I, I always say Jay Leno is a perfect example of this. He's still driving a 1905 steam car, right? <laughs> Occasionally. He's found a way to keep steam cars on the road. So, you know, technology moves forward at a rapid pace. Do new cars have soul? Well, I think it's a different soul, and I think it's a soul that's evolving. You know, uh, I often think when the 911 came out, the iconic car we all love, right? Uh, the 356 guys hated the 911 when it came out because it replaced their beloved iconic car, the 356. And when you think of Porsche now, you don't really think of 356. You think of 911 before you think of that. So do new cars have soul? I guess the, the quick answer probably is no. They haven't developed soul yet. But maybe they're doing, we're just not aware of what it is. You know, maybe we haven't synced into what new car soul is. I mean, new cars, as we all know, <clears throat> do everything really well. I do use the word appliance. Um, I've driven a lot of new cars and gone 15, 20 miles an hour faster on my favorite road in new cars than I have in old cars, without question. But are those as memorable a journey other than you're going a little bit faster? For me, no, not necessarily. So I don't think necessarily new cars have soul like old cars do. But in 20 years, it'll be interesting to see when the Taycan's 20 years old, does the Taycan have soul? You know, maybe we're just not aware of what that soul is today. I've driven that car. It's everything I've said. It's an appliance. It's fast. It's, it's different in the sense of the sound is different. Now, a lot of people bitch about, well, you know, you've got to be able to hear the engine roar and feel it. And yes, I agree. But to a certain degree... In the Taycan, when, you, when you're not hearing the engine, you're hearing a whirl and gears and, or a gear or two gears in the Taycan, I guess. But you're hearing suspension creaking. You're hearing the tires squealing. You're hearing rocks coming up under the chassis. It's just I, back to adapting to the new environment of a new sensory awareness of what speed is. A lot of times people antiquate speed with it has to sound loud, right, to go fast. You know, the engine has to scream to the red line or whatever that may be, 7,000, 8,000, 10,000 RPM or 18,000 if it's a Formula One car of a certain vintage. Electric cars don't do that, but they still go fast. And there is a sense of it's a different emotion because you're not used to the audio. You feel like to be going fast, you have to hear it, right? 
maybe I'm getting old because my pet peeve is, and it happens all the time, you know, these guys that have got, you know, they're generally in Mercedes or BMWs with the barking exhaust and they're doing 25 miles an hour mm. and it's sputtering and backfiring and that's become my pet peeve. They're loud, but they're not going fast. They're just kind of irritating. So I, I think we have to adapt our senses to uh, what is speed, you know, is speed sound or is speed this emotion that you feel? You know, we've been so used to a 120 years of speed having to sound a certain way. Moving forward, we'll be going faster than we've ever gone, but it won't be sounding the same. So I don't know if that answers your question. Do new cars have soul? I don't know. Time will tell. No, I think bang it's, on, man. it's also, it's, a, it's an interesting question because I think, would there be many cars at the time of their launch that would have been described as a car that has soul? Perhaps a, a whimsical journalist may have written a review of a, let's say, you know, something like a Lotus Esprit back from 80s, 90s, that sort of era. But I think it's the memories that come with those cars. It's the accolades that cars, especially if they've had a motorsport career as well. Right. Think of cars that are famous road cars that have had a very, yeah, very big motorsport career. The, the the soul and the personality and everything that makes that car truly special is often a byproduct of the car itself in in its entirety. It's it's the the emotion that's come with it from its owners and clubs and collective stories and experiences. So I think I think perhaps you know it lets fast forward our our, uh, our mind's eye to another twenty years from now and perhaps the adventures and challenges and exciting things that the Taycan owners have done will develop soul for that particular car whilst right now it, it may be an appliance it may be a washing machine it may be white goods as i like to call them yeah. um with time there's no reason why it couldn't have soul it's too early to tell i think you hit the nail on the head with everything you said because it comes back to my childhood of falling in love with cars really happened through watching cars in film and on tv right you know bullet steve mcqueen car chase scene all, all these iconic memories that we have you know and maybe new cars are doing the same thing in movies but it's it goes back to this nostalgia thing you know i've started watching reruns of old 70s shows colombo rockford files and the interesting thing about them is they're all shot in la they're all in the 70s so it's this golden era for me but the, the point i'm going to make here is in these shows if you're able to re-watch them every car looks unique in them they really stand out. No two cars look the same. The challenge today is most cars look pretty similar. You know, it's like you can't really tell at a glance what it is straight away. You know, back in that golden era, call it 60s, 70s, even into the 80s, I think cars had more identity in the shape and the style. You know, it wasn't just this homologated appearance of, of what is it, and then you got to look for the badge. So I also think that's part of the difference is, you know, things becoming iconic and timeless. You know, I can say, you know, pretty easily, okay, here are five iconic cars of the past 60 years. You know, Corvette Stingray, Ford Mustang, Ford F-150 pickup truck, obviously 911, uh, possibly Jeep Grand Wagoneer, Mercedes G-Wagon. These are iconic silhouettes, E-type Jag. You look at them and you instantly know what it is, right? That's the challenge today is everything sort of looks pretty similar. Mm. So, you know. Especially, especially in the SUV world, you know, yeah. it's, it's really hard to tell a modern SUV apart from another one. You know, which brand is that? I don't know. It was same shape, same size, same doors. The golden era that I'm talking about, SUVs didn't exist. 
Yes, yeah. maybe station wagons existed, but, you know, the SUV market, look at Porsche. You know, the Macan and Cayenne, I think, account for 70% of Porsche sales. Yeah. So, you know, back in the glory days, you know, it was all sports cars, right? You know, sports cars are not, you know, the best-selling model in a range. You know, I think here in the States, the F-150 pickup truck is probably the number one selling vehicle. It's not a sports car. So, you know, I think people have shifted. Obviously, we know sports cars are not as popular as they once were, especially when you factor in, okay, you can go get an SUV from your favorite manufacturer, whether it's a Lamborghini Urus or Porsche Macan, that handles better than, you know, my 75 Turbo type of thing. So performance has come so far, it's just now packaged in a different uh, in a different box. And that box doesn't look like a 911, but the Macan or the Cayenne or whatever it may be, Lamborghini Urus, whatever it is, right? Those cars perform so well. I mean, back in this era, 250 horsepower was a lot. Remember when 400 horsepower was all the horsepower in the world? Today, 400 horsepower is sort of entry level. You know, you can go to your Dodge dealer and get a 700 horsepower vehicle off the lot. Standard, right? (laughs) You know, so performance has just evolved so far that, uh, like I keep saying, these things are better than they were before, but they don't look as good as they were before. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. do you know, this has been highlighted to me because I've started watching Cobra Kai. Have you seen this yet? <laughs> <laughs> so, if you haven't seen it yet, it's the Netflix show, uh, which is basically Karate Kid 30 years later, right? And it's the same, it's the same two kids that were fighting, but as, as older gentlemen. And Danny, the, you know, the famous Karate Kid himself, runs a car dealership. That's what he does. He sells cars. And so you kind of see all these kind of same, same, same cars. He sells every different brand going like so many different American lots do. You know, although he, of course, does have a Porsche as well, which is great. But then he harks back to Mr. Miyagi's old collection. And that just highlights everything you're saying there. Sorry to bring this into Cobra Kai, but it's very <laughs> current for me. And I think, and I genuinely think you'd love it, Magnus, because it's, it's just classic. It's just great kind of, you know... High jeopardy, high stakes, schmaltzy 80s fun with some awesome cars and some cool people kicking ass. It's great. It's great fun. And, you know, some hero stories and good guys and bad guys. It's lovely. But, you know, these moments when actually those cars that Miyagi had, you know, his classics, you're so right. Every single one is a different silhouette, a different bonnet, a different hood, I suppose you'd call it, a different trunk versus, you know, this kind of stale modern standard of of every other car that they're selling new on the car lot. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's there's your visual representation for you. Watch a bit of Cobra Kai. <laughs> yeah, it's an emotional thing. I mean, I always say for me, the car is more than a vehicle that takes you from A to B. It's everything you just described. It's an emotional journey, right? And so that to me is why I'm still excited uh, to be driving other people's cars on the next big thing or working on my own stuff, uh, own projects, uh, such as the E-Type Jag. So, you know, I think that's uh, how we started the show was talking about the passion for cars as more than transportation and the thing that brings all gearheads together is, you know, we're all still excited, right, about cars for the most part, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course we are, mate. I mean, Magnus, let's let's have a quick chat about lockdown because obviously we in, a, in the UK, uh, we're very much in, in what we're calling lockdown 3.0 now. Nobody can go anywhere. Nothing's open. We're very much, I mean, John and I are remotely recording in our homes and, you know, it's this is going to be the case for what feels like forever at the moment. They're People are being vaccinated, but there's still no sort of certainty as to when the doors will open again. How's it 
in LA, what's the situation there? I think shut. You've obviously shown us some masks you've been making yourself, but everywhere seems to be doing things differently. So, so how are you getting on out there? You know, if if you read the headlines, you know, LA is like the worst place in the world. It's out of control, which the figures do say it is. I don't quite know how it's got to that point, uh, but it has. But um, people are still out and about. There's still traffic on the road. Um, I think it's very different here in America, especially in California. I talk to my mom all the time. My mom's in Sheffield. She's turning 78 this year. She just got vaccinated. She's dating this older guy, Harry, who lives out in Derbyshire. He's 88. He got vaccinated. So they've got vaccinated, but they're in their own little bubble. There are no bubbles in L.A. You know, it seems different when I talk to my mom. You know, her sister got vaccinated, but they're not in each other's bubble. So they can go for a walk in the park, but they're not having, you know, fish and chips and a cup of tea in each other's houses. They'll talk on the driveway. Uh, That's not really happening in L.A. Everyone's, you know, out wearing masks. Cars and coffee still seem to be happening. Uh, Obviously, you know, people are not, restaurants are closed. Um, People are not socializing in the same way as they were before. Uh, For me, like I said earlier on, my life's a bit different. No one's stopping by. I I sort of like it that way. But people are still out and about doing things. It's come in certain waves, you know. Probably in the early days of April, May, it was super easy to get around L.A. It was great because literally no one was out driving. And you could go from here to Santa Monica in, like, I accidentally did it in under 11 minutes. And (laughs) normally it could be an hour. So that part about (laughs) it was great. Now it's like every time you go out, it's like, hey, what lockdown? It's normal rush hour traffic. So it's it's a really strange time because part of it sort of for me... I don't have a regular job that I ever went to. I don't go to the office. For Hannah, it was different because the Bloomberg office in New York closed down, literally. It's uh, not indefinitely, but no one's going into the office. Hannah relocated out to LA. We moved in together. So that has been actually been great during COVID because before that, it was this bi-coastal relationship where I, we'd be together for a couple of weeks and I'd come back to LA. So that part of it has actually been uh, really, really great. So, you know, Hannah's ironically driving more cars than she drove in New York because California seems more accessible, even though people are not doing car launches, you know, you're not getting uh, flown or she's not flying off to Monaco for a Bentley launch, but instead, you know, she's getting a Bentley for two, three days. So I think last year she drove 70 cars. So, you know, manufacturers are still making cars. Some people are having their best years ever. Uh, we're out driving. Uh, the weather's nice. It's weird because you can't go sit in your favorite restaurant. Uh, I think what a lot of people are feeling almost a year into this is they're missing the human contact elements of having face-to-face conversations. You know, the Zoom calls are great, but it's not the same thing. So I, I think that human interaction is is lacking. But it, it's weird in a way, like. My day job is the film location business. This whole car thing I'm talking about really is a hobby for me. And so what pays my bills is film location rental of this building that I'm in to TV shows, music videos, commercials, reality shows. And normally I'd average maybe 100 days a year of filming. Last year I did five, five. So I'm down 95%. And that is what pays the bills. All this car stuff is just a good way of me to spend money. It doesn't really make any money. So on one hand, 2020 financially was my worst year ever in a long, long time. But creatively, I'm back on a creative role. And so 
you know, I'm just keeping rolling, keeping the momentum going, uh, you know, trying not to come too close to other people, but doing a lot of things outside. And that's kind of how it is, adapting to the new environment. I mean, you know, obviously everyone wants to get back to go to car events, right, and socializing and doing all these great things and these great drives. But um, it's a reset. It's a reset for everyone. Yeah. You know, I think it's recharge. I think people have found ways to adapt and uh, – just part of the life cycle it seems you know this will pass we'll get vaccinated and I, I think we'll we'll move on but strange times here in the states for sure and uh, just one day at a time is how i'm dealing with it you seem on really good form though magnus if you don't mind me saying so it's, it's really lovely to see you kind of so energized by i mean you've always got things going on and you're always excited by stuff but right now you seem particularly in the zone you know you're creating you're in a great groove you seem in a very happy space which is is lovely to see well thanks for sharing that yeah I, you know i do feel pretty good uh dating a younger woman certainly helps so uh, you, know, <laughs> that's you know i'm super lucky to be with hannah i mean other than being really smart and intelligent and super sexy. She's, she's fun to be around. So, you know, I think that has re-energized me, you know, uh, being in a relationship, actually living under the same roof is, is really good for me because weirdly, even though I'm out there probably in the social media world, I'm a little bit of a recluse. I often describe myself as a lone wolf. You know, I have a little pack. It's Hannah and Willow, the dog we just adopted, but I'm not the type of guy that always has an entourage around and a bunch of buddies. So, you know, I'm in my element right now and I feel I feel good and thanks for noticing, essentially. No, it's it's really good, man. There's a vibe and I'm loving it. I'm really, I, I know that sounds a bit, whatever, you know, spiritual or something, but you just, you're giving off a good groove and I like it. It's nice to see, mate. Thank you. I'm a big believer in what you put out comes back, you know, treat other people well. I've always sort of been that way. You know, I uh, give 110% if I'm into something, whatever I'm doing, and uh, that's just kind of how I've been. And uh, I feel fortunate in the position I'm in, truth be told. And uh, like I say, I'm doing stuff I enjoy doing. So when I do that, you know, I feel happy. You know, I've been in these ruts when thing, you know, things are not happening or I'm not doing what I want to do. And uh, it's, it's just better to be in this positive light, always moving forward, which is not easy. It's easy to say, but it's not always easy to do. But I think when the momentum's rolling, you just want to keep it rolling, you know, because it is a feel-good thing. So that's where I'm at. I'd like to just jump back. One of the first things when we were talking, um, you mentioned this whole, I, I think you used a phrase that I use fairly often as well, which is the next chapter. Um, obviously, lockdown for a lot of people and the pandemic in general is, is going to be a significant chapter in everyone's book. Do you see yourself as a, a, an ever-expanding book or do you see yourself as a series of different small short stories that all maybe tally together and with that what's your what are you most looking forward to when you've got to be so careful with the word normality now because of course it's an ever an ever adapting uh interpretation of a word but what is it you're looking forward to as your potential next chapter or is it a case of you just don't know and whatever will be will be well, I think we're in the new normal. I mean, you know, my sort of offhand comment would be, you know, fish and chips in Sheffield down the chippy would be mm -hmm. something I'm really looking forward to. You know, we were really looking forward to going back to Sheffield uh, for Christmas, seeing my mum. Uh, I missed that. Uh, so I'm not necessarily wanting to get back to the travel that I did pre-2020 where I was never here. I've enjoyed being here and everything that we've spoken about up to this point. 
but I am looking forward to going back to England, seeing my mum and dad, my brother, uh, my uh, brother and sister, and you know, sharing time with them that is is not the same as a Zoom call. Yeah. Um, so that that's what I'm looking forward to more so than saying, hey, you know, I, I really want to go to such and such a car event. Uh, you know, that's a, a, a slightly lower priority for me. You know, I think what this lockdown COVID pandemic uh, has taught everyone really is, you know, family first, you know, and health first. Yeah. You know, if you don't have your health, you can't go anywhere, you know, and um, that's really important. So healthy lifestyle, healthy mentality. See my mom, see my brother and sister and get some fish and chips. That's, that's what I'm looking for. Love it. Pretty much the same as you here, Magnus. I mean, you know, my parents don't live thousands of miles away like yours do, but I still haven't seen them for, you know, the best part of a year, and it's horrible. Fish and chips I can do, but yeah, <laughs> parents and sister and mates, ah, yeah, we're just stuck in our little house in our little space on our own. Ah, that's what you got to do when you do. It's a, it's a shame. I miss it, but, you know, so does everyone, right? All things pass, you know, we will, so I think, yeah. get back to some resemblance of where we were. It's just a matter of, of how long and hopefully it happens this year hopefully i hope so mate i hope so um, meantime magnus you know you keep putting out brilliant pieces of content that we're just absolutely lapping up i mean i'm sure everybody that's listening to this has been following you on instagram since the dawn of time or the dawn of instagram at least because you've got how many 12 yeah well there you go well you've still got a bazillion followers you know but it's just a daily thing i mean it always gives me a bit of joy whatever you're uploading be it a video or a photograph or your stories i'm just like whenever i need to change the mindset i just check on on what magnus is doing boom happy days so keep going man you're keeping me going that's for sure i appreciate the support i appreciate the support of everyone out there that's tuning in when it comes to stuff on instagram you know whether it's me walking willow or you know picture of some art wherever i see inspiration and i'm you know i always say open your eyes look up look around whatever it may be you know what i mean it's like pull out the phone point click 30 seconds later it's done you know uh, it's just uh, if i'm inspired you know i i want to share that inspiration in some way with other people so i thank everyone for uh, joining me on my journey and sharing my experiences and uh, you know allowing me to sort of create stuff that i want to do so thanks to all for that i really appreciate it Brilliant. And thank you for joining us today, Magnus. It's been an absolute treat having you on the Driven Chat podcast. It's, I told John that this was going to be an exciting one, and I could tell from his face throughout the whole show. Mm -hmm. I've never seen him like a Cheshire cat before, so uh, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. really has. It's just lovely. It, 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 my favourite thing about this is, is, is just finding the kindred spirits in the joy of cars and the joy of motoring the joy of adventures and not only the stories that we can tell of the things we've done but the things we can also look forward to so i think we are at that crucial time where we're now looking ahead to those those next stories and um yeah this has been fantastic thank you so much mate it's been an absolute pleasure i've really loved chatting and let's let's you and i have a talk in the next few days about some some other things that might be happening that would be that would be very cool to me it was great catching up with both you two guys uh, let's go pedal to the metal for 2021. Let's do it. Know it. You know it. Love it. Magnus, thank you so much. Take it easy, my friend. I'll speak soon, yeah? Thanks, guys. Cheers, Magnus. See you, dude. Bye-bye. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. 
Oh, there we are. That was lovely. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Good. Thank you. That's very kind. Yeah, no, I really, really enjoyed that conversation. I hope that we're able to do a bit more with Magnus in the future because mm. there's there's a lot to him as a, as a person, as a brand. And um, yeah, just he's just a good guy. Good yes. energy. Really, really interesting guy. Really interesting guy. So thank you. If you've made it this far, you've got to the end of the podcast and we are delighted. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just a reminder, as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Firstly, if you can leave us a review and a rating, and if you can share this with a friend, it means the world to us. As I say every time, we read every single comment and message that we get on any platform, whether that's Instagram or YouTube or Facebook, we read it all. So please do, if you want, to, if you want us to see something, by all means say it, because we will read it. Your second activity is to help Amy Shaw on her quest for an <laughs> urban photo location yes, in and around Liverpool, Manchester, or if you think, hey, it's not Liverpool or Manchester, but go here. It's another half an hour down the road. That'd um, be brilliant. Yeah. That'd be awesome. So yeah, find Amy on Instagram and, and ping us some messages there or, or do it via the Driven Chat or, or comments wherever. We, we will see it. <laughs> so yes, thank you very, very much for listening. We look forward to bringing you another episode next week with somebody I am really pleased. I'm not going to say any more than that, just in case we decide to change the running order as we have done a couple of times. I mean, before. we're always very pleased with every guest that we have. Of, of course, exactly. So I can guarantee I'm satisfied with next week's conversation, whoever that may be. A personal hero of mine. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Peace and love. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end and it's john markar here again reminding you that this podcast the driven chat podcast has now run its course and has come to an end to find the new format search the driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps thanks bye